How about now? Let there be sound. That's great. But we really worked hard on the fade out, and I think we've mastered the fade out. The question becomes, are we live on Facebook? Welcome, Facebook. You get to hear all the message tonight. Welcome. Inside joke between us, whatever. Pray for me, would you please? Father God, I pray that you give me words and give us all ears to hear what it is you would say tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Right off the bat, I left my water in the bathroom, so if somebody has a water, I would love one. Preferably a new one. I, I left it back there. But uh, you guys know we're starting a new series tonight? Okay, good. Typical Misfit Night. Eric, we normally have a lot more organization than this. So we just finished a series called what? parables so this series we're starting is called unsung heroes people you may not have heard of but you should have it's kind of fun oh, wow ed this is rough up here tonight okay that's all right don't let a little puke mess you guys up i love interruptions god is an interrupter and he he likes interrupting we should give him leeway all the time all the time uh, so, but anybody have a favorite uncle? Aren't they usually like really gnarly and do like kind of nefarious things? Mine was, his name was Uncle Harvey. He was my dad's brother and unfortunately I didn't get to see him a whole lot because he lived in North Carolina and he was my dad's older brother. He passed before we could uh, really connect. But I remember as a kid, he had this big plug out of his nose, like a big uh, but he had it from World War II. A piece of shrapnel hit him, and they had to go in and dig that sucker out. He had a honking nose. That's my family. It kind of runs. But he had a big honking nose with a big cave out of it. And I would ask him, oh, I got that in World War II, man. They took a big plug of shrapnel. My dad's rolling his eyes because I still don't know if it was true. Might have been a big gorder for all I know. I don't know. But bottom line, he was my favorite uncle. He was wild. He listened to... Uh, uh, what's the guy, uh, uh, oh, the old guy, Hank Williams, the original Hank Williams. And he would crank it loud, and he'd drive like a maniac, and my dad would tell him to slow down. They'd fight, and I'd be in the backseat going, Uncle Harvey is the coolest <laughs> uncle ever. He probably needs to go to jail, but I just thought he was so cool, right? But we're going to talk about unsung heroes, and you would say, well, why, why should we talk about unsung heroes? Because I think there are unsung heroes in this congregation right now that are doing a lot for the kingdom of God, and you're wondering if your work is noticed, you're wondering, does it matter? And I would say to you, yes, it does. It matters in God's economy, right? So I had a conversation with a woman that I hold in high regard uh, probably about two months ago, and she said something very profound to me. She said, we purposed years ago, we don't have to have a big life because we serve a big God. And ultimately, he's the one we're pointing to. So I thought it was very profound. It stuck with me immensely, and I thought it was just really cool because I think sometimes as preachers, ministers, uh, leaders, or just con we want to have a big life, but we don't have to worry about having a big life when we serve a big God because it's all about him anyway, right? And one thing we found out for certain, this week we are just passing through this place. We officiated uh, John Scorfina's home going. 
this week, uh, and it was really emotional because the way that I viewed it, here is a guy that had a larger than life but never could quite get over the hurdle, couldn't get the monkey off of his back, and we wondered what could have happened if he could have just got rid of that. What would have happened if he truly would have committed and surrendered 100% completely, not only his salvation, but for his life? A lot of people trust Jesus for salvation, but when it comes to managing our life, you know, we got this. We want to kind of do things our way. So the story we're going to do tonight, anybody ever heard of Abishai in the Bible? If you have, raise your hand. You already knew it. So it's, it's great, though. It, it, it's a character. Uh, you guys have heard of Joab? How about Azahel? Three brothers. Azahel could run like a deer, the Bible says. And they would have been David's nephews. So you had Joab and you had Abishai that we're talking about tonight. And then you had Azahel. Now, Joab and Azahel had similar, similar characters. They were uh, like Peter on steroids before the Holy Ghost. In other words, they were impetuous. They would... Uh, kill you in the blink of an eye, right? So we're going to pick the story up, but they were also counted among David's mighty men. Turn to your Bibles, and we're just going to do one story. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to talk about it, and then we're going to eat. So it's found in 1 Samuel 26. And like I said, the reason we're picking this subject is because <coughs> Abraham gets all the press, Moses, David, Paul, these Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they should because he did amazing things, but there were also a lot of people in the Bible that really don't get a whole lot of headlines, but they were just as amazing. The other guys were just amazinger. So I'm going to read this, and then I'm going to come back through it. Ready? Now, remember, let me, let me set this up. David's not king yet. He's on the run from Saul, because Saul knows that this, this guy, he's going to be the king. He's the king to be. So he's gone into hiding, and he's on the run, and uh, that's kind of where we're at. We'll get into that in just a second. Ready? Here we go. Now some men from Ziph came to Saul at Gebeth to tell him, David is hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which overlooks Jeshimon. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Hakalah, near Jeshimon, where David was hiding. When David learned that Saul had come after after him into the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around. Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go in there with me? David asked Amalek, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother. I'll go with you, Abishai replied. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head. Abner and his soldiers were lying asleep around him. God has surely handed your enemy over to you at this time, Abishai whispered to David. Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him. For who can remain innocent after attacking the, after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike down Saul someday, or he will die of old age or in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill the one that he has anointed. But take his spear and that jug of water beside his head, and let's get out of here. David took the spear and jug of water that were near Saul's head. Then he, he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up 
because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. David climbed the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance, and then he shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, Son of Ner, wake up, Abner. Who is it? Abner demanded. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you? David taunted. Where in all of Israel is there anyone as mighty? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone else came to kill him? This isn't good at all. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that were beside his head? Saul recognized David's voice and called out, Is that you, my son, David? And David replied, Yes, my lord, the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But now let the Lord, the king, listen to the servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord. For they have driven me from my home so I can no longer live among the Lord's people. And they have said, go worship pagan gods. Must I die on foreign soil, far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the king of Israel come out to search for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountain? Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you. For you valued my life today. I have been a fool and very, very wrong. Here's your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power. For you are the Lord's anointed one. Now may the Lord value my life, even as I have valued, valued yours today. May he rescue me from all of my troubles. And Saul said to David, blessings on you, my son. You would do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. Then David went away, and Saul returned home. It's a lot of reading, wasn't it? You guys kind of get the gist of what's going on here? <coughs> kind of? A little bit? Good job, Karen. A couple things, and I, you know, the cool thing about preparing for this message is I think everybody in here should research and prepare like you're doing a message because you find so many things and, and, and stuff just kept popping up the more I would go it's like I got to get through this in one night to compress a guy's life like this just this section in in 40 I mean in two hours tonight is is really gonna be tough right off the bat now some men from zip you guys know who they were they were also David's brothers. They were from the tribe of Judah. They've already ratted them out once, and they're doing it again. Why do you think these guys would have actually ratted out David twice? Not once, but twice. Why? The Bible says they hated God, and they didn't even really know David that much. They just hated him. Sometimes the Jesus in you offends other people. They don't like you, and they don't really even know why. They see you, and you're, you're working. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to be a, a good witness, and they hate you. Because you don't cuss, you don't smoke, you don't drink and do all the things that they're doing. And they don't even know the, why they hate you. It's a spirit. And I believe that these guys here that turned him in twice, David's on the run again. And he's hiding. And these guys go to the, uh, go to the uh, Saul and say, we know where they are. Turn to your Bibles real quick to Psalm 1. Let me say this about that. In an earlier episode, Saul had kind of made kind of a little bit of peace with David. And it seemed like they had parted ways and amicable. Like, okay, cool. I'm sorry. My bad. And then these guys came up and stirred up Saul, saying, hey, man, why don't you go get this guy because he's hiding in, in all this. So Saul went looking for him. 
Who do you have in your life that you're trying to do the right thing that's continually egging you on to go do something and operate in your flesh? Anybody? Hopefully nobody in this congregation are the ones that are absent. But always, you're going to always have people that encourage you to go against the God's plan, just the way that it is. Why are you doing that? Why don't you go and take that person out? That guy cut you off in traffic. You ought to go by and wave to him. Here's something for you. As a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus, let me say that, if somebody's giving you a mean mug and you feel it, look the other way. Just keep eyes straight. Don't look at him. If you look at him, you get dragged into the whole thing. I will beat you. I don't even know what to do. I will. I, right? We don't operate like that, right? Quick story. I think I've told it again, but it works. Any misfits for Jesus bumper stickers on here? Any flipper offers of other cars in here? Okay. So one time I got an email and actually uh, said, hey, somebody from your congregation was driving out a road, hanging out the window and waving aggressively. And I announced it. I said, hey, if this is you, please put on some other Baptist church uh, bumper sticker or take ours off because you're making us look bad. So just stop it. Uh, and then I got like five people, my bad, dude. And, you know, the devil got me. I was like, oh, I, it wasn't you. Somebody else come. Hey, man, my bad. You know how it is out there. And I was like, like five people came up. And I was like, seriously? What are you guys doing out there? Okay. So my suggestion is when road rage happens, and just look the other way. You can say some things to Barry or, I mean, uh, whoever's driving with Lynn or who, I mean, somebody you're driving with. But don't say it to them. So anyway, turn to Psalm 1. You're there? I'm not there yet. Psalm 1. This is what I'm saying. It's going to take a while, but if I stop in the middle, Barry, maybe you can pick it up next week. Starting at verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. I guarantee that these zip zipites were going to Saul and say, hey, man, oh, boy's hiding. You need to go get him. He's on the run. Go get him. We know where he is. We're turning him in. Go get him. They stirred him up, right? So if you have people like that, the Bible says don't hang out with them. We're joining with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that you do. <coughs> How would you like to be David going, and I don't know how what his age was, but he had already been told that you're king, you're going to be king, you are the anointed one. You're probably thinking the gates are about where to open up. Good to be king. Did you see the old boy pouring the oil on me? I'm the guy. It's going to happen. And then it's, okay, it's going to happen this year. Oh, no, maybe, I, I, oh, trust me, it's going to happen. It's going to happen, and you just, you're getting older and all the stuff, but God's training him, right? And then this happens. He gets turned in once by these guys, and then he gets turned again by these guys. He's going, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually talking about the white lines in the letter. But you had to figure a guy like Dave would be frustrated that his breakthrough or his calling or whatever hasn't come yet. It should have happened already by now, you would think. But he always remained faithful. The whole time he held on to what God said. And there are people in here right now that I'm telling you, hold on. God will finish what he set forth to do. It's going to happen. 
may not happen tomorrow, and you might have to go through a bunch of stuff, and there might be some Ziphites turn on you. It could happen, right? It could happen, but through it all, turn to Psalm 54 real quick. And David penned this about these Ziphites. Psalm 54. Listen to what he said. Now, we don't know if he's reflecting back on this or he's writing this at the time, but nevertheless, we know that Psalm 54 is written about these Ziphites and about the struggle that he was going through, knowing that Saul's after me, this guy's turning me in. Uh, For the choir director, I'm going to read this part because I thought this was cool. For the choir director, a psalm of David regarding the time the Ziphites came and said to Saul, we know where David is hiding. They ratted him out. Come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea, for strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me. They care nothing for God. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promise and put an end to them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offer to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles and helped me to triumph over my enemies. So David's holding on, and he's holding on, and he's holding on. So David's hiding in the hill. He's been ratted out. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's elite troops and went to them, hunt them down in the wilderness of Ziph. Let me set the stage. This would be like um, going in to 3,000 MMA fighters with, 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 with machine guns. This is not like going in. This is like going in. I'm asking you, I need a volunteer to go over and attack uh, the 3,000 MMA, MMA, yeah, UFC fighters. It's a lot easier to say MMA with machine guns. And I'm looking for some volunteers. Zach, Ed, Pete, not Pete, probably would, but whatever. Eric, would you go? Brad, funny thing about this church, you probably would go. It's kind of cool. You'd love to get into that. He's asking them to go and on a suicide mission, right? And, and you know, Abishai is like, yeah, let's go whoop it down. <laughs> I got no problem. I will stick. I, I will stick. So I'll cut you. No problem. He's just looking for a reason, right? Saul camped along the road near the hearside of Hekelah, Near Dresham, when David was hiding, when David learned that Saul had come, he sent spies. So here's David. He's probably thinking, he's sending his spies out now, going, he got this counsel. He's going, can't possibly be. What have I done? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send some spies out to make sure what the counsel that I'm getting is accurate. Because I am the last guy. I don't want to go. Who would want to go up against 3,000 specially trained Navy SEALs? So he sends it. He slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around, actually took him with him. Saul and Abner of Ner, the commander of his army, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go with me? David asked Amalek, the Hittite, son of Ruth, to go with his brother. And here it is. I'll go with you. So David and Abishai went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in his head on the ground beside his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying asleep around him. You know, when the Bible says he was sleeping, I mean, God said, you're going to sleep and you're not going to wake up. God had to be the one to wake him up. I think sometimes we're looking for our uh, uh, nephew to be saved or your brother to be saved. Or your, you know, the Bible says you're dead in your sins. 
It takes God to wake you up to the gospel. We can't do it ourselves. We can't come to Jesus one day. Yeah, it's a great day to get saved. God has to be the one to wake you up. We're all sleepwalking until Jesus comes by and calls your name, and you're all sleeping. He's the one that calls you out of the tomb. But I think it's kind of cool in this account because God just says, sleep. And they sleep. It's like supernatural. God can do anything with anybody at any time, any way he wants to, right? So we go, how in the world would he go in there? It took the faith of David and Abishai, really having more faith than David, to go, I'm going with you, right? So I think faith, walking into an enemy camp, how much faith did it take to do that? I would suggest to you it took a ton of faith. Do you suppose if David weren't walking in obedience, he would have had that kind of um, faith or confidence in the Lord? If David wouldn't have been out there, when we know it's well documented, David's account later, but in this particular point, he's really been walking in obedience. Do you think if you were out doing stupid stuff, he would have the kind of faith it would took to go into a camp of 3,000 people? When God calls you to do something significant for the Lord, stepping out and going into a, a dangerous part of town. You better be walking in obedience. You better be going, you better be towing the line because if you want God's protection, you want to be afforded the protection that God can afford, you better be walking in obedience and walking in the anointing of the calling he's giving you, right? I guarantee when we were downtown, it was a, it was a seedy part of town. You know, you've been there. Some of you guys knew where we came, where, where our ministry is, and I remember people going, you guys packing? You know, uh, carnal people. And let me say this. People um, would come that had necess- hadn't necessarily been called to the streets. And they would come because they were coming with us. We had been called to the streets. I believe that they were protected because the Lord called us. In the same sense, Abishai, he said, I don't know much about anything, but I'm with that guy. I know the Lord's with him, and I'm with him, right? So he goes down there, and he's protected. I would say to the person, are you packing? Oh, I pack it everywhere I go, for real. The Holy Ghost, I never leave home without it. You see, he said he'd never leave me nor forsake me. So everywhere I go, I take the Holy Spirit with me. But if I just said, it's a great time to go downtown now, I wouldn't go downtown and do the things we did then. It's a different time. You see what I'm saying? So there's a special time, and I believe that God put them into a sleep, and then they showed up because God was going to show up. God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time, Abishai whispered. Hey, is this where I get to kill him? It's kind of like, you guys ever see Tombstone? It's only the best Western ever. Sometimes I have to ask Landis, should I hate that guy? Because I, I, honey, should I hate him? Because I hate him. Oh, you hate somebody? Well, I'm just saying you don't like him. Just relax. We're, we're just like you. There are people I was like, I don't like him. But you know what? Jesus said, love your enemies, right? He said, love your enemies. But sometimes, and I've said it often, the Holy Spirit has Lynn's voice, and she tells me, no, you can't. You're not supposed to hate that person you're supposed to pray for that person you're supposed to love on that person you're supposed to do this but nevertheless here he is he's asking 
let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't have to strike him twice. You guys remember the Sons of Thunder? I think these guys, Joab and uh, Abishai, were the original Sons of Thunder. I think, you know, the Sons of Thunder, you know, we're going to whoop them down. I will cut you too. And you're walking with Jesus, right? Turn to your Bibles, nine, Luke 9 and 54. Okay, here we go. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messages of, uh, to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus. Sidebar to that. They wanted Jesus. It was a, a, their capital or their holy city. It was Gerizim. You guys can read more about that. And they were expecting Jesus to go to Gerizim, not Jerusalem. Okay? Because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned to rebuke them. So they went on to another village. Now check this out. In the New King James Version, it's actually said, Jesus responds to that. It says, you don't know what spirit you're speaking from. And I was like, why is it not in this version but why is it in that version? Now, you ready for the teaching point? Because I thought it was really cool. This is really cool. So some of this was translated from the Septuagint. And some were translated from, like, the Latin version. And some were translated from the Greek. So the original Greek, they found out, didn't actually have that particular thing. They reckoned that possibly a commentator would have written that in there. Like, when you make notes on the side of your Bible, if you look at my Bible, it's all torn up, and it was like, Sometimes when I go back and read, I don't even know what I'm thinking. It must have been a completely whatever. But my point would be to that, it's the same spirit that Abishai and his brother were speaking of. They wanted to, okay. You guys get that? I think it lost it right when it came out of my mouth. Let's go back. You don't know what spirit you're speaking of. And he rebuked him for it because Jesus was all about grace and love. He's not about judgment. And here they are. So this guy, King David, is like, no, we're not going to do that. You don't know what spirit you're speaking out of. That's not what we're here to do. No, don't kill him. But who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday. Or he will die of old, old age in battle. The Lord forbid that I should kill one that is anointed. But take his spear and the jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. And then I kind of got sidetracked, and I started doing a whole study on the scepter. The Bible says earlier in Genesis, the scepter will never depart Judah, right? Where did Saul come from? What tribe was Saul from? The tribe of Benjamin, right? So here it is. I kind of looked at this like, man, it's a twofold message. He took his scepter and his jug of water. So the scepter meant authority. The king had this scepter 
And it was like almost like God saying, I'm taking the kingship and I'm passing it on to David. I'm taking the Holy Spirit, which is a picture of the water, and I'm giving that Holy Spirit jug and I'm giving it to David. To me, it was like a twofold uh, explanation of what's really going on. It's metaphorical, but it was also really happened. I just thought that was really cool when I thought about that going, man, that's, that's crazy. That God is showing him, you're in charge now. Even though you're not technically in charge, you're in charge. So David took the spear and the jug of water near his head. And in that, in that culture, and they would, the king would sleep with that scepter near his head. And anybody walking by go, there's the boss. That guy is the boss. David climbed up a hill opposite the camp. He was at sa- a safe distance. He shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, son of Ner, wake up. Who is it? Abner demanded. Well, you're such a great man, aren't you? David taunted. Where in Israel is there anyone that's mighty? So all this stuff's going on. He's basically saying in, in that time, if you messed up like that, they kill you. Technically, he should have been killed. If you're in charge of the king and you're protecting him, they take you out and you don't do your job, they take you out. And he's proving I was right there. I could have killed him, but I didn't. Saul recognized his voice. Is that you, my son? And David replied, yes, the Lord. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But let the Lord, the king, listen to his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But this is, if this is simply a human scheme, then may those involved be cursed by the Lord, for they have driven me from my home. David wanted to worship God in Jerusalem, and he could not do that because these people were after him, and they ran him out of there, right? The one thing he wanted to do, one thing he had anointed, been anointed to do is worship God, and he could not do that because he's been run out of Dodge by this man, this Saul. Must I die on foreign soil so far from the presence of the Lord? Why is the king of Israel come out to church for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on a mountain? You know the thing about a partridge? They just fly away. They, there's no defense. They just, they're just like a dove. David's saying, why are you, I haven't, have I lifted my hand against you when I could have the first time that, that I do anything? I haven't ever done anything to you except for serve you because he was more worried about or concerned about following what God had to do because you're, if you're honest, if you guys were in that cave, would you have stuck? Would you have said, Abishai, take him out? I probably would have. It would just seem a lot easier. Then I could just jump on the throne and we'll get on about business. But David was in such touch with God, which what we want to be, and I know it's just kind of tricky, but my mind and my spirit today, I, just, I was rocking right now. I said, thank you, Jesus. I mean, I was having a good time with the Lord, for real. And he was just downloading this stuff. That's why it's important for you guys to get into this stuff at home because sometimes the messages come out like this. See what I'm saying? And I was into it, man. I was preaching up storm to Lynn. Anybody around? I was like, man, it's great. Jamming John Coltrane, jazz. And I was like, God, this is so amazing. There was so much here. And then uh, maybe it's one of those things you guys need to go and dig for yourself. How about that? <laughs> Let me say this about... Uh, when Abishai decided, you know what, I'm going with David, he signed his own death warrant right there too. He was probably not in the great favor of Saul, but once he hooked up with David, he was like, I'm all in now. I'm done. I can't go back because now he hates me like he hates you. And I wonder, 
Like, you remember when Elisha got past the mantle? He got past the mantle. He's out uh, plowing a field, and, and Elijah came and put the mantle over him, basically saying, you're following me now. You're going to be my predecessor. And then what did he do? He burned everything, burned all his ox. He burned all this. He burned his carts as if to say, I'm done. Without all way, I'm moving on now, and I'm, I'm done. And I wonder if that's what's happening here with him. I'm all in. And I wonder how many people in here, maybe we're all sold out. Maybe we're asking, God, I don't even know what sold out looks like. I'm trying to sell out more. What is sold out as a human being? I don't know. The cool thing is Christ sold out for us that we actually <laughs> are covered by his grace because even our good works and our sellout, we're not sold out compared to Jesus. What's the saying about the chicken and the egg, one sold out, one's committed? What was that saying? Anybody know in here? Is that just something big churches do with this stuff? I'm going to forget. You know, I think the chicken, the egg was committed. You know, the chicken was sold out and the egg was committed. Or flip that. See what I'm saying? Okay, great. You got an egg and you got a chicken. An egg was committed, but the chicken was sold out. You know, fried chicken. You know, killing the chicken. I lost myself. What are you going to do? It happens sometimes, Barry, doesn't it? I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and then I will no longer try to harm you. It's kind of a shame what happened to Saul because here's Saul. You had everything. You had it all going for you. And then you just, it looked like he repented. And even here, it looks like he repents again, but we never hear anything more about him as far as we know. We don't hear anything more about him. So you don't know if he uh, went out and hung himself in the field like Judas did. We don't know. But King Saul started out really good and then got full of himself. Started reading his own press, I think, is what happened. And then when the anointed one came under him, he couldn't just get out of the way and let him go. It's God's man. What are you going to do? Here's your spiel, King. David replies. So here's David still being humble. Still calling him king, even though David is the rightful king. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you even when the Lord placed you in my power, for you are the Lord's, an, the Lord's anointed one. You know, it's funny because there's some work that we do in Uganda, guys, right? And we do in India. And we're doing in Pakistan. And we're doing stuff here, right? And sometimes we hear, well, I just don't know why they're doing all that in Uganda. Um, we got plenty of work here to do. Agreed. Agreed. We got plenty. Go right across the street. But we're called to be here. That we're, we're called to make God known here and around the world. That's what we're doing, right? By the way, I will say that the other chapter in Uganda, more people got saved this weekend and being baptized this weekend. Right? And they depend on us. Our little meager, God's blessing it and adding to the numbers. So really it comes down to you trust the leadership of the ministry. Because if you don't, then I don't know what to say. So really it boils down to um, we're going to continue to do that. We're planning on going. We want to we see more people get saved. They don't have the same access to the gospel as we do. There are churches literally in every corner in America. And I'm cool with it. And we know that we have friends that aren't saved and, fr and loved ones that uh, don't know the Lord. So we have a, a ton of work to do here. I think we're doing an okay job on all the fronts. Like I think we're in the drug war. We're in the uh, all the wars. I mean, we're on all the fronts. We're like fighting on several fronts. 
So I really don't know where that came from, but I think it boils down to trusting where the leadership has taken you. You guys all right with that? You like people seeing people get saved that haven't heard the gospel, right? And I've been there myself, and the funny thing is, over here a lot of times you've got to beg and plead and put all kinds of gimmicks and put all kinds of stuff on just to get them to come to church. Over there you simply hold up the Bible and say, Jesus loves you, and they flock from ten villages because they've never heard it. So that's, and if you haven't gone on foreign mission trips, I suggest that you do it. Soon. Very soon. Very, very soon. So what we hope to do on this particular mission trip is blaze a trail so that in subsequent trips we have our security set up, we have our hotel set up, we have all this stuff. So we're going to be doing it in the future more. Who would be interested in going next time? Okay, that's great, three people. To know Christ and to make him known. And Saul prophesies at the end of verse 25, and then we'll, la- we'll land this point. It's been a bumpy ride, actually, hasn't it? And Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds, and you will surely succeed. Then David went away, and Saul returned home. Saul doesn't even know he's prophesying, because David really did go on to do amazing things for the Lord. And he didn't get it right all the time. Right? And he paid the consequences not getting it right. So my question for you guys today, are you cool with having a small life and serving a big God? It's, pretty, it's a lot simpler that way, right? It's a, lot e- it's a lot easier that way. And maybe you're an Abishai. Maybe God has called you to do amazing, heroic things. Maybe it's just going across the street and go, hey, we want to go to church? And the tenth time that you said no, maybe the eleventh time he says yes. Or, hey, you want to come to a recovery group? And the 50th time you've asked him, maybe the 51st time he actually comes, right? Or you want to come to my house for dinner? And you invite them over and start a relationship with them? Sometimes that's really scary stuff, isn't it? Anybody like hospitality? Anybody gifted in that arena? I'm not. I'm just not. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. (laughs) Alpha's coming over tomorrow. We're celebrating Easter with my children. And I said, you'll be there at 0900, and I kick everybody out at 1. Anybody knows me? That's how I do it. So if you got anything out of tonight, right, be an Abishai. Be, be brave. And one more thing that I forgot about this. In a lot of ways, I believe that David operated as the quasi-Holy Spirit for Abishai. Because he looked at David and goes, should I kill him? No. Okay, cool. So when we're under the control of the Holy Spirit, he's going to have you do things or not do things that you normally would do in your flesh because Joab and Abishai were two carnal guys. Joab never did get it right. He always went by his flesh. Abishai at least looked at the king. I don't know what to do. What should I do? Don't kill him. Upon your word, I won't kill him. So when we are listening to the Holy Spirit, he's going to tell you things that go contrary to the flesh. The way that you would handle it in your natural is not the way that we handle it. We have a lot of people coming here, some tough guys come into this ministry, and they want to whoop everybody down in the natural. You can't do it. We had a guy that used to be, we're still friends. He was the president of our chapter in Arkansas. He wanted to beat everybody up. And I go, Doug, you can't, you, you, you can't beat up the homeless. I know they drive you nuts. You can't do it. Trust me, 
I wanted to, but thank you, Jesus. I was under the control of the Holy Spirit and saved probably 12 people's lives downtown. Probably my own. So if you learned anything tonight, get under the yoke of Jesus. Get under the control of the Holy Spirit. Don't listen to your flesh because it'll tell you all the wrong moves. And if you're in bad counsel, dump them and get some good godly counsel because people like that will mess up your anointing and mess you up. That's probably the best thing to happen tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, we thank you for tonight. We ask you to, to bless this meal. We're about ready to receive, Lord. We thank you for it. And we, Lord, we know that uh, we don't get it right all the time. And we thank you for the grace that covers even that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's go eat.